Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May this service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. And so before we continue to submerge into the unsearchable depths of God's wisdom that is our inheritance in Jesus Christ, the unchanging epigraph of our study of these depths of our riches that are in Jesus Christ is the book of Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Saying these words, Jesus began to distance from them, and the cloud took him from their sight. Being ready to meet Christ will consist of the ability to do what we will search or study together today, the right to the power to put off our former way of life so we can clothe our bodies into a new way of life. And so that we as the participants of the body of Christ would share together with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about Him. In Scripture, we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth in our heart, what we need to do from our side so that we can receive this right to the power to put off our former way of life so that we can clothe our bodies into a new way of life. This is our first most purpose together and our calling. One for all calling. Because if we will not put off our former way of life, we will not be able to clothe ourselves into a new way of life. And people who have not clothed themselves into a new way of life will not be able to be raptured if Christianity understood what being ready to be ready is for rapture. This is to clothe yourself into your new way of life, new form of life. 
and we need that this new form of life be in your heart, consist in your heart, and after that you need to be able to open it up from your heart and proclaim it with your mouth and by proclaiming you clothe yourself into your new person and if a person isn't taught how to obtain this inner state or essence this liberty that that is in Jesus Christ that only comes after we cast off of ourselves, we become naked before the Lord and so you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which has been corrupted by its deceitful lusts and be made new by this by the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new self created by God in true righteousness and holiness Ephesians 4 22 through 24 to fulfill this decreeing commandment we need to put three destiny impacting commanding and fundamental acts into practice and these are to put off be renewed and put on and fulfilling these three destiny impacting commanding and fundamental requirements will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath or more specifically will our salvation happen that is given to us in the format of a seed because we receive it in the format of a seed and this seed identifies the security deposit of our justification in the given to us salvation where we need to turn the three above mentioned acts into profit within the death of our Lord Jesus Christ so that our salvation can become our possession in the format of the fruit of righteousness Otherwise, we will forever lose the justification that is given to us in the format of this deposit. Because a deposit is, doesn't mean it's yours or you own it. It is, <clears throat> you only partially own it. You bring in this deposit so that you can go and obtain the remaining amount. Somewhere else you need to find the remaining amount that you owe so that you can be justified. Justification given in the format of a deposit or a seed so that it can become your own you become possess a possessor of it you need to sow the seed in yourself or sow yourself with this seed because if the seed will not die if we will not die in the death of the lord jesus christ this is uh, turning it to profit you when we turn it to profit you you lose the seed in the death of the lord jesus you don't just lose it you lose it in the death of the lord jesus this is uh, su a sufficiently uh, complete or uh, full uh, meaning here contained in this. Here we will never lose what we're depositing as in the world there are chances that you may lose it but to put it into the de death of the Lord Jesus and you yourself being baptized into his death you absolutely will gain uh, obtain a new form of yourself in his resurrection and so if this will not happen and we will not pay the appropriate price which consists of casting off of ourselves our old man then our names which were written into the book of life when we made a covenant with God in the format of the given to us guarantee or deposit will forever be blotted out of the book of life in a specific format we already looked at the process contained in the first two requirements and stopped to study the process of the third requirement and specifically what conditions we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the glory of our new person who is created according to God in Jesus Christ in righteousness and holy truth we have been studying many events 
symbols, examples, parables, and we stopped to study the allegory contained in the 18th Psalm of David, where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and authority that He alone has, reveals the demands according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon, or God Most High, because David, in this 18th Psalm, turns to God and calls Him El Elyon, translated as Most High. And this condition consists in us calling upon the Most High as to our God and proclaiming the faith of our heart when we are in the circumstances of our tight situation. We're casting off of ourselves our old man, just like David was casting off of himself his old man. It was the most difficult time in his life. It wasn't when the Philistines were surrounding him, but specifically when he was in conflict with his inner old governing sin, old man inside of him. In the circumstances of this tight situation, casting off the old man, we can call upon, like David, call upon God, stating who God is to us uh, in Jesus Christ. This is in our heart, who God is to us in Jesus Christ. This is very important to know what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who we are to God in Jesus Christ, and what do we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ what conditions we need to fulfill so that we can partake in this pure and undefiled inheritance. We note that the given allegory is one of the most powerful and voluminous examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David and the name of God Most High and their their violent conflict with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul and also with governing sin who is our old person with his deeds, who lives within our body. Three kings living in one body, and they battle. They're in conflict with one another. They fight for our body to take control of our body. And the field of battle is our heart and what king we give preference to, which one we prioritize, collaborate with. That is the one who will take control. If we begin to collaborate with David, with our inner person, where the truth of the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ is imprinted. It's not talking about infants in Christ. This is not talking about carnal men because they don't comprehend, they don't tell the difference between what's pure and impure, what's holy and unholy, the Holy Spirit from false spirits, uh, true apostles from false apostles. And so what I'm saying right now is not for them. Their ear does not accept these things. It will go pass by them and they will understand it. This will uh, prompt... uh, rebellion in them, anger, uh, rebellion, and they will be disquieted by it. Because, just as I said uh, recently, a group uh, in a certain church had uh, began to rebel, saying, uh, how is it he saying that God died for all for his church only Jesus died for the church only not for the whole world how can he say this God they're saying God gave his life Jesus gave his life for all men they clearly hear a lot but why are they against this truth because they continue to stay carnal they did not pay the appropriate price that is necessary to be paid so, so you can cast off of yourself your old man with his deeds In its character, the prayer psalm of David contains three parts where we see demonstrated an example of the character of our legitimate prayer belonging to us as kings 
priests and prophets because specifically by the means of prayer that belongs to kings, priests and prophets are we called to cast off of ourselves our old man, renew our mind and after that clothe ourselves by the means of our renewed mind. The first part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer, which is the required basis for the, for him as well as us for the legitimate status of his prayer and our prayer belonging to kings, priests, and prophets. The second part opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer itself, which belongs to us as kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the proper basis he needs to deliver us in the image of David from the hands of all of our enemies because we are studying uh, in David, we see ourselves. we see our new person who is born from God and who has been grown into full measure of growth in Jesus Christ. A third part illustrates the prayer battle itself. It contains an epic genre, which is beyond the limitations of the typical human mind of man. A carnal man, he does not battle with his old man. He, the carnal man battles with his spiritual man who is in the church. He resists the truth and he resists spiritual people. He does not battle in himself. He does not see in himself uh, anything negative. He sees that these people are in his way that are in the church. He doesn't know how to become free of them. And so in a specific format, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer in the eight names of God Most High. The reason why David turned to God and proclaiming proclaimed eight names is because he was uh, basing his prayer on the covenant, uh, and the number eight uh, is symbolic of the covenant. God has 50 names, but all of these names are diluted in one the other. They support one the other. They are united. They are in a miraculous balance with one another, and they confirm the truthful nature of the other one the other, getting to know and confessing the power that is contained in the heart of David consisting of the eight names of God Most High allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so that he can be saved from his enemies. We are not able to love God if we will not know him in his names, what these names consist of. How can you love someone you know nothing about? You may say, yeah, we don't see him. But the scriptures completely reveal him and we begin to see him in these words because he reveals himself through his words and through his word are you able to fall in love with him. And God getting to know and confessing the truth that opens <clears throat> the power of his names contained in our heart within the heart of David and our heart pro- provided God with a legitimate basis to use the power contained in the capabilities of his names to battle against the enemies of David. God gave his angels the command and they use our words as armor, as weaponry to protect us. Angels also participate here. We can't ourselves overcome without these angels. But the angels are powerless to help us uh, with the demons that surround us, with carnal men that surround us, wicked men, lawless men, who continuously fill the churches have uh, before and do today and there's typically the majority if we don't give them this armor the armor or weaponry of angels is the confessions of the faith of our heart I love you Lord my strength 
The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. <clears throat> I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 1 through 4. And so all of us together, let us again and again, <clears throat> together with the angels of God who surround us and serve us, although we may not see them, but there are, are many more of them than us. There, there's This is an entire army of holy angels that take part in the service and who have great satisfaction in this because they see the face of the Heavenly Father uh, looking <clears throat> at our new person. Our new person is identical to the nature of God. And when he grows, he, he begins to look like God. But there's so many of us and they see the, this many uh, forms of God's great glory in us. They are in awe of this and together worship. Together, Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock in whom I take refuge. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. And Lord, you are my stronghold. May the Lord hear and may he confirm these words within our heart so that they would be clearly written upon the tablets of our heart so that when the time comes to be able to erect the stronghold of incorruption in our body, he can clearly read this and do this amazing work and turn hell into shame. As much as the Lord has allowed, and according to the measure of our faith, we already studied <clears throat> our inherited lot in Jesus Christ and the power of six names of God. And these are strength, rock, fortress, deliver, living rock, and living shield. And we have stopped to study our unsearchable inherited lot in Jesus Christ in the name of God, the horn of our salvation. <clears throat> Getting to know the eight names of God which identify God's covenant with us is a strategic teaching as well as a tactical teaching which is purposed uh, when we're talking about strategic strategic and tactical people uh, of a military background often can understand uh, these phrases strategic are God's goals tactical is how to utilize specific weaponry to be able to achieve this goal this purpose the strategy God's goals that God has for us tactical is the weaponry armor you are to use to be able to strike that goal to reach that goal obtain it <clears throat> and so getting to know the eight names of God is a strategic teach strategic teaching as well as a tactical teaching which is purposed to be the calling of every warrior in prayer which they are called to be clothed into as a mantle and as a holy garments for kings, priests and prophets who are anointed by the Holy Spirit to rule over their earthly body and again not to rule over someone else but over their own earthly body if a person who is born from God has not accepted the given to him anointing to rule over his calling, which is his mortal body in the status of a king, priest, and prophet, so that he can change it into a heavenly body, 
than the revelation about God, consisting of his glorious name Horn, that is purposed for worshipping God in spirit and in truth, as the remaining names of God will not benefit him in any way, because due to his stiff neck, he has refused the given to him by God and by God calling to save his soul, to then by the means of his saved soul, to adopt his body by the truth that is contained in the redemption of Christ. When we receive salvation, we are born again from God, from the seed of the word of truth. And at this time, being saved in our essence, we only have a spiritual essence, our new person, our sacred person. Our soul remains unsaved and our body is unsaved. It is still mortal. And only our spirit can do that work if our spirit will not achieve his this work to save our spirit our soul and body then our spirit will perish our soul remains the same mortal our body remains the same mortal and so when we're grown into full measure of growth in Christ because an infant cannot be a king or a priest or a prophet but when we are grown into full measure of growth in Christ that is when we become warriors in prayer and then do or are we able to cast off of ourselves our old man and use the name of God Horn so that we can adopt <coughs> our body by the redemption of Christ. Therefore, the quality and lexicon which <coughs> we have been studying, identifying the name of God, containing the function of the horn of our salvation, as with the previous names of God Most High, are not able to be found in any dictionaries of the world. Considering the fact that in Scripture the symbol of the name of God, Horn, presenting the symbol and standard of His might, which contains the eternal, non-diminishing potential of the non-exhaustive and countless abilities and powers of God, with which He created the heavens and earth, including mankind, and with which He keeps and watches over this world for judgment at the great white throne, I will remind us of a brief list of characteristics which identify the virtue of God in His name Horn found in Scripture. And so the mighty power and authority of God in His glorious name Horn is the sacral work that is being done in the temple of our body. The word sacral work <clears throat> is, it refers to offering or sacrificing. This is sacrificing that's happening within our body or a prayer that is brought forth to God because what is a sacrifice? It is prayer. We bring forth our prayers upon the altar. Our altar is the goals or motives we have. If we are familiar with them, then we have built, our, built ourselves into this altar. It's been consecrated and upon this altar we bring forth prayers or offerings. This, the, this is the non-diminishing, unsearchable nature of the power of God and His strength abiding within our heart in the form of the truth that is contained in the elementary teaching of Christ. That is, this is the eternal and unquestionable power of God over the living and dead. We're talking about what the name of God Horn consists of. This is the power of the might of God to keep those that are condemned to death. God is keeping those that are contempt, condemned to death when we condemn ourselves to death in the Lord Jesus, He keeps us in this death so that together with Jesus Christ, He can then resurrect us up and put us on His throne. 
the power of the might of God showing that death is unavoidable, the power of the might of God to perform judgment and righteousness by his servants, the power of the might of God <clears throat> to demonstrate his wrath over the vessels of wrath and his mercy over the vessels of mercy. All of this God does in the functions of his name horn. And he can do, and do this when we also have a horn of righteousness <clears throat> and we collaborate our horn of righteousness with the mighty horn of God. This is the power of the might of God to sow and gather what is sown, the power of the might of God to split and to separate <clears throat> what is split and separated. The cross of Christ separates us from our nation, the house of our Father, and it separates our spirit, soul, and body. The Word of God is living and working, and so we know what it's talking about here. The power of the might of God to destroy and to construct or build, to destroy the strongholds of, of Satan within our mind, to be able to construct or build God's strongholds, because the many children of God, the stronghold of Satan is in their mind. The incorrect understanding of the truth are the strongholds of Satan, and we're supposed to destroy them by the truth of the Word of God. The power of God to restore what, it, uh, what is destroyed. God destroys specifically what is necessary to be destroyed, and then He restores it in, then in a new form or new way. The power of the might of God to blot out the sins of His nation, the power of the might of God to perform signs and miracles. All of this God does using His name Horn. The power of the might to blot out the names of sinners from the book of life. You see that this amazing uh, def list of definitions, everything that's happened and happens, it happens in the power of this, uh, the might of this horn of God. Collaborate our horn with the horn of God. <clears throat> we need to consider that the list of the mighty works of God and His glorious name, Horn, concealed in the non-diminishing, non-exhaustive, and unsearchable works of God accomplished by Him using the mouth of holy men that are led by the Holy Spirit, who have paid the required price for the absolute and sought-after dependence upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not force anyone to come. He goes ahead, the Holy Spirit, and a person himself follows the Holy Spirit, follows in his footsteps. You need to be very attentive because the Holy Spirit, he speaks quietly. He doesn't shout. And if there's a lot of noise, you may not hear his voice. You need a specific silence, a, a, a prayer silence. When we uh, meditate and we begin to meditate, then the Holy Spirit can speak into our spirit, and then our spirit passes it on to our renewed mind, what he's received from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never works with our renewed mind directly. He works with our spirit. Our spirit possesses the mind of Christ. And so when this collaboration happens, occurs of our renewed mind with the mind of Christ that's in our spirit, that is when we are able to understand what the Lord is saying in the preached to us word. 
The functions that are contained in the power of the name of God horn, as all the previous names of God within the relationship of God and man first make themselves known in the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God that are imprinted and abide within our heart and consist of the covenant of blood, covenant of salt and covenant of peace that is made between us and God in the baptisms of water, Holy Spirit and fire. The baptism is one, one God, one faith, one baptism. But here we see three forms of baptism. These are actually three functions of one baptism, three functions of one covenant. God does not make a separate uh, covenant of salt, covenant of peace, and covenant of blood uh, with us independently. We make all of these covenants simultaneously. We make this covenant and there are three functions in it the function of the covenant of blood, function of covenant of salt, and function of covenant of peace. And they do not work one without the other. The covenant of blood can't work without the covenant of salt. If there's no holiness, then you cannot make a covenant of blood with God. If you don't have peace between yourself and God in your relationship with God, then you will not have a covenant of blood. These are three functions, one covenant. In scripture, the name of God in the functioning meaning horn is used as a symbol of might and strength, which is military weaponry or armor for warriors in prayer. A warrior in prayer needs to clothe himself into, and as warriors in prayer, we are called to clothe ourselves into the given function of might so that we can successfully resist the organized powers of darkness who resist us or get in our way of fulfilling the will of God both within our body as well as out of our body as it is written, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ephesians 6.10, when it's saying might, this means horn. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his horn. Ephesians 6.10, in scripture, the symbol of the horn of an animal that grows from him symbolizes one of the unique names of God or our growth in Jesus Christ, that in the form of the preach to a seed, of the word about the kingdom of heaven within our body contains the eternal, non-diminishing and unsearchable potential of the might of God in his glorious name Horn. It is necessary for us to study under what circumstances and fulfilling what conditions are we called to collaborate our faith with the name of God Horn, to destroy within our body the stronghold of death and in its place erect the stronghold of eternal life identifying the kingdom of heaven within our body and to study this great and good goal being the greatest and unchanging will of God in the form of our first most or primary purpose and our primary calling it is necessary for us to answer four classical questions in what works signs and symbols do we do we see demonstrated the characteristics and qualities that the scriptures ascribe the virtue of God in the functioning meaning of his name horn. What functions in our relationship with God are the qualities contained in the name of God horn called to fulfill? What conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can provide God with legitimate grounds upon which to show himself in the accomplishment of our salvation in the functioning of his name horn? Fourth, by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether God abides within our heart in the function of his name horn and that we are clothed into the virtue of his name horn in a specific format according to the measure of our faith we already studied the first question in eight of its components therefore we will immediately turn and study question two what functions in our relationship with god are the qualities contained 
in the name of God Horn, called to fulfill. I will remind us that the mighty power of God, consisting in the abilities of the many various functions of his name Horn, has multiple meanings, is multifaceted and multifunctional. Because the functions of the mighty power of God, consisting in his name Horn, are called to make themselves known in the temple of our body in the mighty work of truth, consisting in the destructive and creative power of blood of the cross of Christ, together with the anointing power of pure oil, which demonstrates itself in the breath of our lips, clothed into the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets, called to blow into the horn of Jubilee. The sound of this horn signifies the start of the feast of the Lord and the beginning and end of the waging of the wars of the Lord, both within our body as well as out of our body. First function in the purpose of the mighty power of God within our heart, in the virtue of the name of God Horn, is called to cleanse us from inherited sin by the means of applying the blood of the cross of Christ upon the horns of the bronze altar, into which we have built ourselves so that we can dedicate ourselves to the Lord as priests. We need to once again note that collaborating with the mighty power of God in His name Horn is only possible when we leave spiritual infancy in the form of our nation, the house of our Father, and our fleshly life, so that we can build ourselves into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood, or into a temple of the Holy Spirit with all of its accessories, and in the given situation so that we satisfy the requirements of the altar of burnt offering made of acacia wood overlaid with bronze from which come the four horns and the requirements of the altar of burned incense made of acacia wood overlaid with pure gold from which come four horns as well which in function and cooperation with one another this is what will represent the fruit of our spirit in the fruit of righteousness and because of the cooperation of one with the other, one altar with the other, they will complete one the other and confirm the truthful essence of one the other. We are called to build ourselves into the temple of the Holy Spirit with all of its accessories, which definitely need to contain the bronze altar of burnt offering made of wood, acacia uh, wood, and the altar of burnt incense made of acacia wood as well, overlaid with gold, because cleansing with the blood of the sacrifice which was done over the horns of the bronze altar burnt offering dedicating us as priests to God in the virtue of warriors in prayer this is when we're anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit this is called to present the mighty power of God in the grown by us fruit of righteousness in the Eden of our heart where we die for governing sin within our body and so when a priest was anointed Joshua, Moses, when he was uh, dedicating uh, Aaron, he took a horn, filled it with holy oil, and then poured it upon the head of Aaron and his sons, and this oil would uh, pour down from his head, down upon his beard, and dripped upon uh, on the edges of his cloak. And so this kind of anointing, bringing an offering, a sacrifice, which actually symbolized this priest who was dedicating himself to God. He, with this blood, needed to put this blood upon the horns of the bronze altar and then enter into the holy place where the golden altar was and then sprinkle seven times upon the veil with this blood, sprinkle this blood, and then 
apply also upon the four horns and burn incense so that this cloud of incense would come before God. I just wanted to describe how our dedication works symbolically because this was a symbol, but this symbol has not gone away or disappeared. This still exists. Uh, It needs to happen in spirit. We will sense the anointing power of this horn when we will be anointed at the moment uh, of the, when we're near the bronze altar. The function of laying of or applying of the blood of the sacrifice upon the horns of the golden altar will testify before God that we now live for the one who died for us and resurrected. There's a difference if the bronze altar, the function was that we died for governing sin within our body. That's what it represented. The golden altar, this is testifying of the fact that we live for the one who died for us and resurrected. And so this is now in gold, overlaid with gold. In bronze, we judge ourselves. In gold, we already live uh, for him, that we live for the one who died for us and resurrected. And therefore, not rem- forgetting that the function of these two altars that we are called to build ourselves into do not work with one without the other because we are redeemed from the sinful life passed on to us from our fathers, which we will look at more in more detail when we will be looking at the function of the four horns of the golden altar. Right now, we are studying specifically the meaning of the bronze altar what kind of meaning it has in our life because the altar are, are are the goals of God. When we have the right goals, God's interests, they're presented, then we have an alt, bronze altar. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. Exodus 29, 1, uh, 1, 10 through 12. Considering that building yourself into the image of the bronze altar with the horns emerging from it, representing the mighty power of God in the temple of our body and the fruit of our spirit, in the meaning of his name horn, is called to make itself known in the state of our heart, cleansed from dead works with the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ imprinted or carved upon its tablets. And so when we judge ourselves in our conscience, God does not judge us. We judge ourselves in our conscience and the truth of the blood of the cross of Christ. We, we, we activate it in our confessions <clears throat> and in this way, God does not account these sins to us. It's also secondly called to be testimony that building yourself into a bronze altar with the emerging from it horns and the fruit of our spirit is called to make itself known in our ability to judge ourselves in accordance with the demands of the elementary teaching of Christ and the Holy Spirit revealing the meaning or significance of this teaching. The symbol of our finger with which we are called to apply the blood of the sacrifice upon the horns of the altar is a symbol of writing upon the tablets of our heart the covenant of peace and life with the confessions of our mouth. Because here we see the there we see the finger that applied the blood, and we here we are confessing, we are sprinkling with confessions. This 
And so collaborating our faith with the faith of God, stating what the truth is to us contained in the blood of the covenant. We proclaim what the truth is to us. And so first, the blood of the sacrifice applied with our finger upon the horns of the bronze altar when word that is confessed with our mouth what is inside the truth that is inside we are confessing it with our mouth the truth of the blood of uh, of the of Christ when dedicating ourselves as priests to God <clears throat> we dedicate ourselves as priests to God and that's why we then have access to the holy place if a person does not comprehend this, doesn't understand it, he can't enter into the holy place, although he thinks he is. Many people think that they are pre- uh, kings and priests and they enter, although they don't even have an understanding of the price that's required to be able to enter into the holy place. And so this uh, sacrifice, uh, blood of sacrifice applied with our finger upon the horns of the bronze altar when dedicating ourselves as priests to God is making a covenant of life and peace with God in the death of our Lord Jesus where we testify before the face of God that we in the death of our Lord Jesus died from the law or died through the law for the law to live for God which upon practice means that we died for our nation the house of our father and for governing sin which reveals its essence in the corrupt desires of our mortal soul so that in this way we receive the legitimate basis to present within the act of our intercession incense to God in the mighty power of his name Horn upon the golden altar of burnt incense, the altar that we have built ourselves into so that the law of the truth would be upon our lips and so that there not be any unrighteousness upon our lips. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name. Pay attention here. In every place. In the Old Testament, God says, you cannot offer a sacrifice in any place, but only upon the place that I will tell you or appoint as a memory for my name. But here it says, in every place. This prophecy uh, is, uh, it applies to that conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman when she asked, do we uh, worship the Lord in Jerusalem or here on this mountain and you Jews don't allow us to go into the temple in Jerusalem. The rabbis don't allow us to go there to worship, she told him. And so she said, she asked, where do I, where do we worship? And he said, not here or there. True worship happens in spirit and in truth. And so when it says uh, in every place, these are those worshiping in spirit and in truth. When you're in spirit and in truth, wherever you may be, you can worship God. But when you are not in spirit and in truth, and what does that mean in truth? In spirit, we understand this is in our spirit that worship is happening. But in truth is being belonging to the body of Christ, having an organic membership to such a church that has the status of the good wife. This is the narrow gate. If we don't have such a church, then we are not worshiping in spirit and in truth. Worshiping in spirit and in truth is can only happen uh, when you are a partaker, member of such a church, such a body, which is do- a door to heaven, 
not every church is a door to heaven. Many churches are a door to hell. And this is literally, even though they sing the name of Jesus there, but for the singing, they will be harshly punished because they took the law of God in, and upon their lips, but they cast their words behind themselves. They say, where is it where is it written they start questioning the truth from the rising of the sun even to its going down my name shall be great among the gentiles and every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations says the lord of hosts how will it become great among the nations when they will see that you have become a light to the world then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. A covenant is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is God's wisdom. The wisdom of God is God's faith. This is the truth that is concealed in our heart. This is what the fear of the Lord is. So he feared me and was re- and revered before me. The law of the truth was in his mouth. The law of the truth will be in our mouth when it will be in our heart. And injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, knowledge of the truth, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Malachi 1.11 and 2, 4 through 7. All of our essence, all of us, it seeks God's law from our lips. And so those that are in need of light, you are a candle in the house and you are a city on a hill. You shine you as a light to one another and you shine a light for the world. As a mountain and a city on a mountain and I'll see that city you are a light for the world. One cannot uh, hide a city on a hill or as a candle in a house and no one covers it with a basket, uh, but it is a place so that it can shine. And so they see this and glorify the Father in heaven. Second, the blood of the sacrifice applied with, a, with our finger upon the horns of the bl- bronze altar when dedicating ourselves as priests to God consists in the collaboration of the carrying of our cross with the cross of Christ and the result of such collaboration within our heart is called to be a testimony before God the exchange of our destinies in Christ where because of his death upon the cross where we died through the law for the law we partake in the unsearchable inheritance of our salvation in Christ Jesus which is contained in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ we know that the cross of Christ or the truth about the cross at the 12 gates if we have built ourselves into him this is the key that opens access to the treasure that is contained in the blood of Jesus Christ for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God 1 Corinthians 118 the message about the cross the message of the cross. It's not just talking about the cross of Christ, but also our cross. The message of the collaboration of our cross with the truth of the cross of Christ. It is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. First Corinthians 1.18. You can't preach the truth about the cross separately. 
if we have submerged ourselves into the death of, of Jesus and Jesus died upon the cross, then we need to also upon this cross die, but to fall, end up upon this cross with Christ, it's necessary to carry your own cross. I want to note that the unique in its nature power of the blood of Christ, independent of the cross of Christ, will not benefit us in any way. This is because it is specifically the truth of the cross of Christ, which is the exclusive opportunity or the key to the inheritance concealed or contained in the blood of Jesus. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, in Jesus all fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross, Colossians 1.19.20. All means all those who are called or foreknown, predestined to salvation, those whom the Lord foreknew before the creation of the world. And we won't forget that the goal of the tempter is to separate the truth about the blood from the truth about the cross. This is to present to us only that part of the truth that would suit or be likable to our desires, for which we won't need to pay any price. That is why the truth about the blood of Christ separate from the cross of Christ is so enticing, attractive, and inviting. Spoken by the mouth of false prophets, false apostles, false teachers, or just carnal men that the scriptures call foolish and unwise. But the church chooses these people for themselves, electing uh, them democratically by voting for them. And there are not many churches that actually have a structure of theocracy. And so the truth about the blood of Christ is so enticing because it is edited. They edit it in such a way teaching that the role in obtaining the imperishable treasures contained in the truth of the blood of Christ is simply the role of a dependent person to satisfy all of the emerging in him desires of the flesh. People think that the blood of the cross of, of Jesus Christ is given for their flesh. Today, one sister called me, one, in, one individual, she got upset, she wrote a, light, uh, wrote a, a letter, and she said, I'm not special, I'm a child of God. But if you're not special, then you're not a child of God. A child of God is someone who is special, is individual. It is uh, an individual, a special person, a sovereign person. Um, but as people misunderstand things, a sister calls me crying. What has happened? I am sick. It's getting worse and so forth, is it because I'm not being saved? Is something wrong with me? She's asking. You see, she understood her pastor incorrectly. He, as if, told her, that's how she understood, that if she's sick, that means she's not perfect. And she's afraid, calling me, what do I do? And I told her, listen, your illness has nothing to do with your relationship with God. Why is it that you uh, are determining things based on your illness? 
uh, prophets also got sick and some even died from illnesses Job look what kind of things he suffered with was it for his sin was it because he was not perfect these illnesses are allowed so that your faith would become strong if your faith is not confirmed if we think that God and only in this life as it is written if you only trust in Christ only in this life then you are more unfortunate than any other man and so one of our brothers uh, he has passed away he I asked him are you upset uh, that God has not healed you and he said no what do you serve God only when you're when you're uh, healthy or not sick not ill he was not stumbling upon these things and he did pass away from the illness he had and God is very proud of these kind of people people who overcome in illness they overcome their illnesses illness is what it wanted to destroy our faith so that we be stu- we stumble in our faith so that something's wrong with us but when a person knows that everything's fine if something's wrong the Lord will show it to me if you don't have a specific sin and you're not being shown that you have a sin why do you immediately assume that you're sick because you are sinning this is not the reason with many sufferings uh, we will experience many to enter the kingdom of heaven and so people use the blood the truth of the cross for their own flesh for their own body but you need to first use it so that you can bring your soul out of death and adopt your body when you accept the promise of the adoption of our body uh, when you have a renewed mind and a saved soul and even if we die in illness at the moment when God will be clothing his saints into resurrection before rapture these people will resurrect because they died in their illnesses but they kept victory they still have their victory inside of them it's important to carry that victory inside of yourself over illness Christ uh, has uh, destroyed all illnesses and so never uh, determine your relationship with God looking at your illnesses this is incorrect people are taught incorrectly so that they could satisfy the desires of their flesh because such interpretation just does not leave any room for fulfilling the desires and interests of God since this truth is subjected to expansive exploitation exclusively to benefit the mortal flesh when in fact it is far from what is supposed to be the shedding of the blood of Christ was first called to satisfy the demands and hunger of the holiness of God and not man since the blood was first brought into the presence of God before his face it wasn't brought before our face it was brought before God's face as what is holy to the Lord and it testified before God that the price for our sin was paid and only after in the collaboration of man with God in the cross of Christ this blood would be able to satisfy then the needs of man 
We already know quite well that collaborating with God, we need to clearly differentiate the role of the one as well as the other side. God in his relationship with us is always in the role of the helper, which means that he will never make a choice for us and never makes decisions for us. And as soon as we fulfill our role in making the right choice, and in making the right choice we make the right decisions, we immediately make he immediately makes himself known in the power of his name Horn by the means of which he then sends us his help in the power of the Holy Spirit. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples, also he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And take up his cross and follow me. Not my cross, but his cross. But to take your own cross, you need to deny yourself. Die for your nation, the house of your father, and for your corrupt desires. This is what it means to deny yourself. And take up your cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his, save his life will lose it. And so when we lose our soul in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, we reobtain it in the resurrection of Christ. But those who will lose their soul, for who uh will will keep it. We see here, pay attention to the fact that in this place of scripture we clearly see our role and our abilities demonstrated in carrying our cross which allows us to follow Christ in the status of, status of his students which gives us the legitimate foundation to collaborate in the carrying of our cross with the cross of Christ or the truth of the cross of Christ. In other words, carrying our cross in the collaboration with the truth of the cross of Christ opens to us access to the surprising and unique power and glorious inheritance contained in the truth of the blood of the cross of Christ. And only together, with one with the other, do these two forms of truth represent the power of God contained in his name, Horn. Apostle Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.17.18 In accordance with the given place, simply following Christ without collaborating the carrying of our cross with the cross of Christ is a futile waste of time and life which deprives God of the legitimate foundation upon which to demonstrate himself in our life in the power of his name Horn. It deprives God of the foundation or the ability to save our soul and adopt our body. <clears throat> and if the cross of Christ is the calling of Christ demonstrated in his responsibility as in it is the perfect will of the Father for Christ and the goal for the sake of which the Father sent him into the world. Our cross is our calling demonstrated in our responsibility and to fulfill our obligations it is necessary to fulfill one condition, deny yourself or separate from everything. In other words, the cross separates something from something else. Identifying our cross presented in commandments and orders of God, which belong expressly to us, fulfilling or obeying these commandments, separating from everything, is the collaboration of the carrying of our cross with the cross of Christ. Christ had his own command. He needed to die upon the cross. Our, we have our calling. We need to carry our cross and follow Christ. 
Therefore, the identification and meaning of the cross has a fundamental difference when it comes to man and when it comes to God or Christ. If the truth about the blood of Christ was called to blot out our sins before God's face, then the truth about the cross of Christ is called to eliminate the manufacturer of sin in the form of our old man, inherited by us from the sinful life of our fathers in the flesh. Therefore, the truth about the blood of Christ is called to destroy the genetic sin itself. At the same time, the truth about the cross of Christ is called to destroy the power of the manufacturer of sin. The truth about the cross of Christ destroys the manufacturer of sin only in the situation when we fulfill necessary conditions collaborating and carrying our cross with the cross of Christ. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? If you go to evangelize, not all have success, but some have success. Billy Graham had a lot of success. He preached in stadiums. Jimmy Swaggart had a lot of success, preached in stadiums. Others preached in stadiums and crowds came out to repent. But this did not give them anything. Jesus says, if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Here it's talking about that for evangelism you won't receive salvation. You can receive salvation if you lose your soul in the death of the Lord Jesus. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. Matthew 16, 24-27 Looking at the given works, or given words, the carrying of our cross, which is fulfilling our calling, is inseparable or inseparably linked to such a nature of suffering, which forms us as children of God into the image of God, and in the given suffering, collaborating our cross with the cross of Christ, we cast off of ourselves the old man with his deeds, and this is suffering, which will allow be allowed. A suffering may be in losses or illnesses, and even those that are close to us rising against us, to receive the right to the power to erect the resurrection of Christ within our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. At the same time, Christ carrying his cross formed him into the image of our sin for which he died on the cross for us. See the difference. When we carry our cross and we follow Christ, this forms us into the image of God. When Christ was carrying his cross, it formed him in the image of our sin. See the difference. A very big difference. And when people don't understand what the cross is, then they say, they speak, but they don't see these differences and I see these so-called generals of God gathering, these very visible evangelists, they sit for weeks, they have an entire week, they commit to the cross, what the cross is. And all they can say is it's not a stick. There's a saying, uh, of course it's not just a stick. 
But these generals gathered together so-called generals of Christ and discussed this kind of stuff. At the same time, Christ carrying his cross formed him again into the image of our sin. We need to keep in mind that not all suffering forms our character. The result of sin that's been committed is also suffering and produces death. But such suffering in no way forms a person into the image of God, but on the contrary transforms him into the image of sin. Therefore, the words of Christ, follow me, means imitate me in how I fulfill the will of my Father demonstrated in his commandments for me. You do the same, fulfill the commandments that are given to you. The will of the Father for the Son was that he needed to exchange destinies with man who will come to him. Take the sin of such a person upon himself and the punishment for the sin. And for this man upon the same upon the same cross, give him his righteousness and inheritance contained in this righteousness. At the same time, man for this purpose is called to fulfill specific conditions to receive this great destiny freely, which consists in justification before God and the grace of Christ. He needed to receive this freely and not uh, by praying and fasting, by trying to earn it, practicing spiritual gifts, evangelizing, and so forth. He needed to receive it, this great destiny, freely by God's grace. The condition itself to collaborate with God carrying our cross with the cross of Christ consists in us needing to leave our nation, the house of our Father, and our life in the flesh building ourselves into a bronze altar for with the emerging from its from its horns in the fruit of our spirit demonstrated itself in the ability to judge ourselves in accordance with the demands of the elementary teaching of Christ and the holy spirit who reveals the significance of this teaching the symbol of our finger with which we are called to apply the blood of the sacrifice upon the horns of the altar is the symbol of writing upon the tablets of our heart the covenant of peace and life by confessing with our mouth the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God, which gives us the legitimate foundation upon which to present the works of our intercession, incense to God in the mighty power of his name Horn, building ourselves into a golden altar. As we read, I'll read this one more time. For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And so when we will be doing this, we will become a light to the world. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations. The place where you will be, you will be a light. And there people seeing that light, they will bring forth incense to his name, a pure offering. My name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts, with the priests. The covenant will continue with the priests. My covenant with him was of life and peace. A covenant of life and peace. It contains the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ, where you clearly see the role of God and role of man identified who, God, who Jesus is for me, what he's done for me, who I am to Jesus Christ, who I am to God in Jesus Christ, and what do I need to do to inherit all that God has done for me in Jesus Christ. And I gave them to him that he might fear me, so he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found in it, on his lips. He walked with me in peace and in equity and turned a, many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law of his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. Matthew 1, 11 through 
11 and 2 fourths or 7. Our soul can't be saved without our lips speaking the word. Our soul is saved by the confessions of our mouth. With our words, we are condemned or justified. With our lips, we save ourselves upon the condition that we are confessing the faith that is concealed in our heart. Third, the blood of the sacrifice applied with our finger upon the horns of the bronze altar when dedicating ourselves as a priest to God is testimony of the abiding within us justification where we are obeying our faith to the faith of God we accepted it independent from the law by the grace of God in the redemption that is in Jesus Christ because we in Jesus Christ died through the law for the law so that we can live for the one who died and died for us and resurrected. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so it came apart from the law. But the law witnessed it was a uh, it was being witnessed in the law and the prophets even the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ to all and all on all who believe for there is no difference for all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of god being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in jesus christ whom god set forth as a proportion of his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance god had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Romans 3.21-26 through 26. Every time when we, in the virtue of the priests of God, anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit, count ourselves dead to sin and living for God, proclaiming the not-existent stronghold of life within our body as existent, we, by the means of the confession of the faith of God, abiding within our heart in the format of the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ apply the sacrificing blood of Christ upon the horns of our altar where we pursued the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ and doing so confirm our justification for if we have been you have been united together in the likeness of his death certainly we also we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. The old man crucified with him. It says, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him. It's not that he was taken from us uh, and crucified, it's we together with this old man are upon the cross. If we place ourselves into Christ, then we die together with him on the cross. The old man is crucified and dies, and in the resurrection we rise without the old man. He remains in hell, and we in a new form rise. Uh, old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin for he who has died has been freed from sin now if we died with Christ you see and so when it says that it should be done away with it doesn't mean that it's uh, destroyed and so the body of sin uh, might be done away with meaning that it was he was uh, occupying a specific position uh, a specific 
title, and he's been removed from this title. When we count ourselves dead to sin, living for God, and proclaim the non-existent uh, stronghold of imperishability and corruption in ourselves, we in this way bind ourselves, and we cast him off of our throne, and he being bound is within our body. He is uh, done away with, but he's still in our body. If will be cast out of our body, then our body will become incorrupt immediately. But because our body is still corrupt or mortal, that means he's not yet destroyed, he's just done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Because we, in the death of the Lord Jesus, died for the old man, who is governing sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, and so we will be- we believe that we shall li- also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once, once and for all. But the l- life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. Even though your body will say you are crazy, you are not dead to sin. The old man will be screaming. Uh, you you can't say you're you're dead to sin. Just like one gentleman told me, when I hear something in my pocket, then I will believe it. But when God says through Apostle Paul uh, that we, uh, although we have nothing, we possess everything. We how is it that you be dead to sin and count yourself dead to sin? when you're alive, as it were, but you obey your faith to God's faith, you count yourself dead to sin, and reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6, 5-11. through 11. Therefore, dedicating yourself to God in the virtue of a priest is producing the fruit of righteousness to God, testifying about the great and mighty power of the blood of the cross of Christ, by the means of which we partake in the inheritance of peace and draw near to God. <clears throat> Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Numbers 25.11-13 In the given situation, the fruit of righteousness demonstrated by the priest Phineas consisted in him running the javelin through the head of the leader of the father's house of the Simeonites, Zimri, and the Midianite woman, Cosby, the daughter of Zur, the head of the Midian people of the children of the house of Amoth. If you remember this event, uh, this this incident that occurred that he had brought in a, a woman uh, in front of the eyes of all the people into a tent, the symbol of the priest Phineas within our body is our new person who has grown into full measure of growth in Christ because of the accepted by us truth of the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ. The symbol of Zimri, the leader of the tribe of Simeon within the body of our within our body is our carnal mind. Zimri is in our body the carnal mind. The symbol of the Midianite woman Cosby are our feelings coming from the old man in the form of Zur, the leader of the people of Omaf, the tribe of the Midianites. Therefore, the Holy Spirit used the event 
where Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, ran the javelin through Zimri, the head of the tribe of Simeon, and Cosby, the daughter of the leader of the tribe of the Midianites, as a symbol of how our carnal mind, being in union or agreement with the corrupt desires of our soul, was destroyed in the death of our Lord Jesus. This is us. This javelin is our confessions when we have dedicated ourselves as priests, which was a reason and beginning of the conflict of our new man with our old man, elevated to a commandment of the Lord. When we will nail or or thrust our old man through with this javelin, then this uh, conflict will begin between the new man and old man. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Numbers 25, 16 through 18. Practically, the confrontation and battle taking place between the new person and corrupt desires coming from our old person living within our body will continue until we eradicate the power of the old man within our body. As it is written, therefore, We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so look at him, it's written, because many... Uh, sorrows may make you stumble and you will be asking Lord why in the beginning people constantly came to me and said why did I get in an accident why did my husband leave me why did I get sick why did this happen but here it is written you need to uh, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. The chastening of the Lord is correction, not punishment. When correction... And so it says, do not be discouraged when the Lord... Uh, rebuke, rebukes you for the one whom the Lord loves he chastens and dis- and scourges every son whom he receives if you endure chastening God deals with you as with sons for what son is there whom a father does not chasten but if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate and not sons Hebrews 12 1-8 considering that our time is up we will bend our knees and our heads and pray and we will thank God for the words that we were able to receive today. May the Lord bless us in this prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, again and again I thank you together with your people that you have allowed us to build ourselves into an altar a burnt offering where we can bring forth our prayers, our offering to you, which would be acceptable to you. And 
apply the truth of your blood upon the horns of our altar so that there be power and we thank you that we have learned to judge ourselves and when we judge ourselves according to your word you do not condemn us because you have made our conscience your judge that is cleansed from dead works and we thank you for this surprising judge this intercessor within our spirit that when we sin our conscience immediately reacts with pain and makes us impatient and then we rise and we come to you with our head bowed down and we confess we repent and you don't account the sin to us you see and continue to look at us as righteous for the righteous will fall seven times but rise again we thank you because those sins that we are often committing in part are those strangers that come from outside because and the reason is because we are not <clears throat> uh, in battle if we would be in battle then these fall this these uh, times of falling would not occur but when we stop battling with our old man we immediately fall into sin and then the conscience judges us and we in panic come again to you run to you and plead with you so that you cleanse us with your blood cleanse us with uh, from sin and you do this because of your great goodness and mercy and we thank you for the blood of the covenant that we can be participating in collaborating our cross with the cross of Christ we thank you that upon this cross you have exchanged destinies with us you upon this cross took the form of our sin the image of our sin but we carrying our cross began to transform into your image and take your image made this truth be so blessed and so strong be written upon our hearts so that we be that we rejoice before your face and those sorrows that we experience that fall upon our lot to be able to transform us into your image because you said with many sorrows the righteous will enter into your kingdom and that's why your disciples rejoiced when they were suffering or in the moment of suffering and your apostles wrote about this so that we in our own times of trial or suffering would rejoice because they fall upon our lot not because we have sinned but because we are in conflict and battling with sin and because he rises against us you allow these illnesses and even though we have illnesses in our body we celebrate in victory over these illnesses because we first of all understand our purpose our calling <clears throat> that it consists of casting off of ourself our old man with his deeds renewing our mind and 
clothing, begin clothing ourselves into our new person. I thank you, Father of heaven and earth. We together rejoice about this. We clothe ourselves into our new person. We proclaim the faith of our heart and may this be a, an acceptable offering before your face and a an incense before you for every time we bring forth an offering according to your statute you are pleased may your nation be blessed your people may these words be within the heart of your people may it be as gold and silver that will bring us and deliver us from all things and bring us to your throne We worship before you, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.